Once again, good morning, everybody. Our sermon text is coming out of Revelation, the whole chapter 4 of Revelation. That's where our sermon text comes from this morning. Revelation chapter 4. And if you find it, would you please stand? Okay, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me, like a trump, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seat on the throne. And he who sat there had appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the throne were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around, and within a day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, yes, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives, for, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and honor and the power. For you created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. And Lord, we are grateful to be able to come before your throne of grace. And to be able to come boldly, not, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. Because of what you determined to do, what you sent your Son into the world to do, what you have accomplished for your people. Lord, we're thankful that you are holy, that you are majestic, that you are all-powerful, and that you are merciful. Lord, help us this morning as we consider this text of revelation that you gave to the Apostle John, opening his eyes up to things in the Spirit that we would not even be able to imagine on our own and still are not able to fully grasp, comprehend. You've given it to us in imagery, uh, no doubt, because the, the truth of it would be more than, than we could bear, the true fullness of it. And Father, we, uh, we pray, Lord, increase our understanding of You, increase our 
our vision of You and Your glory. Grant to us a greater, more accurate view of who You are as the thrice holy, sovereign God over all creation and the only true and living God who was and is and ever shall be. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I have seen um, studies. I'm talking about practical ones done in uh, psychology. I've seen videos of them. You, you've probably seen them too. Um, <laughs> where, where they're studying human nature and, and human habits, and they'll, they'll send somebody to do something uh, in, in public to see what kind of response they get. So, for example, you know, uh, you, you may have a guy standing on the street corner, and he's, he's planted, of course, by the ones who are doing the study, and, and he's standing there, and he's just gazing up into the sky. And before you know it, uh, you've got four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve people all, all standing there, <laughs> gazing up into the sky, trying to figure out uh, what this guy's looking at, you know, and thinking, just assuming he, he sees something, what is it, you know? Well, um, my, my prayer this morning is that uh, I would be effective and, and, like that guy, gazing into the heavens uh, after um, and according to the revelation given to John here as, as we read it and consider it, and that all of us would be encouraged to do the same. Uh, not literally, of course. I mean, you don't have to sit there and look up in, into the, the ceiling. Uh, but uh, in your mind's eye, so to speak, as, as we say, uh, set, set your gaze on the thrice holy sovereign God. You don't have to picture a physical image. One of the interesting things here, and, and, and I mean like an image of a man or something, that's, that's one of the interesting things here that, that John does not give us because God did not give it to him. Uh, it's not that we don't... There are physical images here. We're going to talk about them. But, but, but you don't have uh, God pictured... Um, with amp, anthro, what we call anthropomorphisms, in other words, uh, a, a body like we have, a face, hands, legs, and so forth. Sometimes in the Scripture he uses that kind of imagery to, to, uh, to communicate things to us. But here, in, in looking, so to speak, into the very throne room of God, that is one thing that is absent. So let's set our minds on these things according to God's Word. That is how God reveals them to us uh, in His Word here. And literally contemplate His greatness, His otherness. A few things to kind of set the context. Um, We've already seen, you remember back in chapter 1, John enters into a, a vision there, um, and, and it all starts with a vision of the glorified Christ, right? And back in chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, your brother, and, and we mentioned before that this is uh, uh, believed to be the Apostle John, brother, brother of James, sons of Zebedee, Jesus called the sons of thunder. 
Um, so this, this is the beloved disciple he, in his own gospel. Uh, the gospel according to John, he, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who was close to Jesus. All right, so um, in a unique way. So this is that John, the Apostle John, and he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then he turns um, to where he hears the voice from and he sees the vision of the glorified Christ. Well, here in chapter 4, this section begins with, with this phrase, After this. After this. Well, after what? After, after that vision. After that vision that John was given of the glorified Christ and the dictation uh, of the seven letters that were sent out to the seven churches the seven congregations of Asia. All that, the vision and the letters, we've already uh, all discussed, uh, of course, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So I think that's what he's meaning here when he says, after this. So, now, so in other words, we're moving on to something else. We're moving on to another vision. And just like back there, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Um, it, is, it is similar here in verse 2. He says, at once I was in the Spirit. All right? so, so he's having... Uh, he's entering into another um, vision. And, and the, the term in the Spirit there probably refers to a, 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 what we, we would think of as an ecstatic state um, as he's under the influence of the Spirit of God. Right? Pretty awesome, awesome picture right there. After this, I looked, verse 1, After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. Now, notice he, he says, The first voice which I heard speaking to me. And that, again, is, is a reference back to chapter 1, verse 10. And it's probably the, the voice of the Lord. Um, in verse 10, we just read a second ago, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then in verse 12, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And he goes on to describe uh, the vision of the glorified Christ. So in chapter 4, that's what he's referring back to. The first voice which I heard speaking to me, that one back in chapter 1, verse 10, he hears now speaking again like a trumpet. And he says, uh, um, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. Now, uh, the chapter starts out with that phrase, after this. And we just said that's referring back to the, to the vision of the glorified Christ and also the dictation of Jesus' letters to the seven congregations in Asia. And now the voice says to him, Come up here. And he says, I saw a door standing open in heaven. So, so the idea is he's, he's being caught up, as it were, into heaven to receive the next vision. Um, and so, I, you'll see probably as, as we go along, but it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, and I don't think it matters a great deal, but it's hard sometimes to discern 
where the things are, where, where John is sometimes, or things take, as, he, as he's viewing things. Or is he in heaven or is he on earth? You know, sometimes he goes back and forth sometimes without this kind of, of uh, acknowledgement. So it's not always as clear as it is here. But, but here he is, he is making a shift as he goes into this second vision and is caught up, as it were, into the very um, throne room of God, you might say, to see, verse 1 says, I will show you, in other words, this is going to be more things revealed, I will show you what must take place after this. And this time, uh, the phrase is just referring to future events. I'm going to show you what is to come. What, may, what must take place after this, after, after now, after this point in time. And so at once, John says, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, th- this is no coincidence or accident. You know, what, what, what is happening here is the focus goes to the one seated on the throne. And notice John's use of the term behold there. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. And one seated on the throne. And the, the, the verb there is present tense. One is, one is seated. One is seated on the throne, John says, as I'm, as I'm looking there. So all, all attention now goes to this one seated on the throne. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of break this up this way. Um, we'll start with this. Um, just a simple phrase, on the throne. And I'm going to come back to this one. We're going to, we're going to start here. We're going to come back to, to this. But on the throne. What does John see on the throne? Well, he sees one seated there. And verse 3 says, He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Now, that may sound a little bit odd. You think, uh, what, what, is, what is that about? So, so, so let me say this. I, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into great detail about um, uh, some of the imagery here. And I could, I could do that because there's tons of material um, that, that we could go to. And, and <laughs> you find all sorts of explanations. Uh, and some of it sounds credible and some of it doesn't. And, and it would take quite a bit of time to sift through it. You know, I, I told you in the outset, one thing that I want to do is, is zero in on what is crystal clear, what is obvious, and say when we come across those things that we're not sure about, that, hey, we're not sure about these things. And say about those things that we are sure about, we, we can be sure about these things. Because they're they're clear, and and that way make a, what I think is a is a healthy distinction between those two categories, so that we don't all get all hung up on things that we really can't be sure about and weren't weren't intended to probably, um, to the neglect of those things that are most important and most obvious. So I will say this about about some of and, and we'll, uh, you'll hear me doing this as we go along too um, about the way John describes the one who sits on the throne. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. One. Notice that. One. Why is that important? Well, um, 
because there's perfect unity in the Godhead. I, I said from the... And, and, and not only perfect unity as if there was perfect agreement. There is perfect agreement. But not only that, but, there, but, but the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, are one in essence. Now, I say that because I pointed out when we were back in chapter 1 that I, I think we start out here with a, an inference or a, a reference to the Trinity. And we're going to see that again here as well. Um, let me go back to chapter 1 just briefly again. In verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who is and who was and who is to come. I think we can understand that as a reference to uh, God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I think we are right to understand that as a reference to the Holy Spirit. And I've given uh, some explanation uh, regarding that, so I won't go back over it here. In verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. Definitely a reference to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? So there in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, you've got a reference to the Godhead, what, what we refer to as the God. The Scripture refers to as Godhead. And, and we often refer to as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The order there is God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Father, Son, and Spirit. So there are three. Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet there is one. And there's no contradiction there. No compromise of the doctrine of, of uh, the oneness of God. In fact, we don't even have to go all the way back to chapter 1. Look back in chapter 3. And here's Jesus closing out His letter to the church at Laodicea. And He says in verse 21... The one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. See that? I conquered and am sat down with my father on his throne. But then you get down to chapter 4, verse 2, and John says there was one seated on the throne. Is that a contradiction? No. Because God is one. God the Father, Son, and Spirit is one. One in essence, multiple in persons, personhood, but one in essence. So this is the triune God whom, whom John is, is getting a glance at here. Um, and we're going to see more about Jesus in chapter 5 as well. Alright, so there's one seated on the throne. And this is, this is the, the main throne. There are other thrones, we'll see that in a moment. But, let's not get confused by that either. I mean, in other words, there's no contradiction there either when we talk about um, one God. Because in terms of deity, this is the only throne. This is the throne above all thrones. Just, you know, there are thrones here on heaven, Right? I mean, here on earth. But even even in speaking of that, there is one overall, the heavenly ruler. All right? And we'll, we'll see that again momentarily as well. All right? So he says, I see on the throne, there's one seated on the throne. Now, why is that important? Not just for the reasons I just stated. I did want to bring that up about the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity and the unity in the Godhead. But I, but I think 
John's main reason for, for bringing this up here, and, or you could say Jesus' main reason, God's main reason for revealing this to John, is to show that God is actively ruling. He is seated on the throne, and that's the, that's the place of rule, where one sits to rule. You know, um, even in, in earthly kingdoms, rule and power and authority, those things are limited. And in one sense, you know, if you were a king, you were a king 24-7. But, but obviously you couldn't be in every place at the same time as a man. And there were times that they would come and sit on the throne and give judgment. Act as ruler and judge. You know, maybe, maybe make royal decrees, pronouncements and that thing. That sort of thing. They sit on the throne, have their scepter, and, and make whatever decree or, or give whatever judgment. But that's where God is always. He is always, He is seated, John says, on the throne. Meaning, He is actively ruling. Or the way I like to say it, God rules. Actively and absolutely. He is not a figurehead like the Queen of England. I know for us, Americans, it's a little bit hard to understand that whole concept anyway, isn't it? Having a royal family and, and, uh, and uh, you know, a queen and people over here, we kind of wonder, what, what, you know, what does she do anyway? <laughs> what, what, what's the purpose? They have a, now they have a parliamentary uh, government and all that. What, what's the purpose? Uh, but, but they also have a, a long history of monarchy. And it's, and it's a long-standing and, and adored uh, by them tradition. But today... She is basically a figurehead. So who rules England, so to speak? Well, the government does. Parliament. Right? They have, they have a prime minister and, and, and they have a parliament. And her role, the Queen of England and, and uh, the king, if there was one, there's not at the moment, but even if there was, uh, is, is essentially ceremonial and as a figurehead. Now, I just bring that up. Just to, just to emphasize and make the point that that is not God's role. He is not a figurehead. He rules actively and absolutely. He's the ultimate monarch. Earthly monarchs, and we do sometimes we refer to earthly monarchs as having absolute rule, and what we mean by that is supposedly in their kingdom, uh, whatever they say goes. They have the inner... There aren't many kings like that left today, if any. I'm, I'm not even sure that there are any. But whatever they say goes. But even in those situations, it really depends on whether or not there's an uprising among the people, doesn't it? I mean, they could rise up and overthrow them. Well, God's not going to be overthrown. His rule is absolute. He is able. And this is, this is again, one of the reasons John is... is gazing into heaven and, and encouraging us to do the same thing as Christians living in this present dark world is so that we might understand that God rules actively. He's not missing. He didn't, he didn't go AWOL. He didn't step out for lunch. He didn't get up, you know, and take a stroll. And, and you know, he's missing what's happening down here. He is sitting on the throne ruling actively and ruling absolutely. That is, he has the last word in everything. I'm going to move on a little bit. Didn't even mean to say that much on that 
at this point. I'm going to come back to it. <laughs> uh, but it's something good to think about. It's, you know, it's kind of easy to get caught up in it. All right, so that's, that's what we see on the throne. As I said, we'll come back to that momentarily. Now, a couple times here, John uses the phrase around the throne. So we're going to move to that. Around the throne. And let me go back to verse 2 again just to help us set the stage. At once I was in the Spirit and beheld a throne, behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. And, I, and let me just say this quickly because I think I did neglect to say this. I think the reason for the use of these stones here, the, these are considered precious stones, beautiful stones. So it, it is just to help us um, get the picture of the majesty of God the beauty and the majesty of the one who is seated on the throne. And around the throne, there's that phrase, around the throne, there was a rainbow. Now, the word that's used here, in my understanding, is it, it, it can mean uh, a complete circle, like a halo, or it can mean an arc, arcs like, like a rainbow, like we, we picture a rainbow. So it could be either one. And, and John really doesn't tell us how it, you know, does it, you know, does it go around, especially if it's a complete circle, does it go around the throne um, vertically or, or around the throne horizontally? That doesn't, doesn't tell us, and again, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I think, again, the idea here is, is just that we get a picture of something beautiful and majestic. Notice the color, by the way, is not the colors of the prism, but it's emerald. Around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And, the, and I think primarily, maybe the green, you know, the emerald does represent something uh, that I'm just not aware of. But again, I think primarily the idea here is just to communicate beauty. Because these stones and, and this, this picture, this color, emerald, uh, that's what it would have communicated to John's readers. Beauty. Magnificence, majesty—something you know—something that you would be awestruck by. And maybe our maybe our picture of it is ruined a little bit by uh, uh, by the Wizard of Oz, you know, because now you know when we think emerald, uh, that's probably where our mind goes, and so maybe our thinking's a little messed up. But <laughs> but well, one reason they use that in the Wizard of Oz too is because it's supposed to be beautiful, right? All right, so. Here's the phrase again, verse 4, around the throne. So, so what's around the throne? Well, there's a, a halo or, or a rainbow. And then verse 4 says, around the throne were 24 thrones. So there, there you have 24 more thrones. But these are not the same in significance. They, they are subject to the one throne, the throne where the one is seated. These are creatures on the 24 thrones around the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but let me read down a little bit further, and we'll, we'll get to the, uh, uh, the other creatures as well. So, so the 24 elders are clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So again, around the throne you've got the 24 thrones with the 24 elders seated on them. And then you've also got 
seven torches, which John says are the seven spirits of, of God. So you have, I, I think here, once again, a representation of the Holy Spirit. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So before the throne, a sea of glass like crystal. And, and, and my understanding is that that would not be transparent like we would think of um, with much crystal today, but, but, uh, but kind of a, a murky, uh, rough-looking uh, image. And I've seen this, by the way. We used to go hunting uh, crystal in, in uh, um, Arkansas. And when we would, we found a lot. There was one mountain in particular that we would go up and look for crystal, and there, and it was just a lot of it there. It was easy to find, but it, but it, but it wasn't. Um, I guess the finish. I don't know what they do with it, but it wasn't like the finished product where you would buy in a store where it's just totally transparent. Uh, but I don't know how all that works. But, but at any rate, I, that's the way that it was. And when I, we first went up there looking for it, it just kind of surprised me that it was not. Uh, totally transparent. So I think that's the, the picture here. So you've got this this sea like crystal in fr- in front of the throne. So there that that's the picture around the throne. And then again, in the rest of verse six, around the throne, there's the phrase again. On each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And this is this is kind of. Uh, interesting and, and somewhat difficult to picture, but John gives us a description here. And, and I just want to emphasize again that I think he's describing these things using imagery that we would understand um, to describe what he's seeing. So, so it's not that, that it, it is a, uh, a literal description, um, but, but it is a way of describing these, these things to help us understand. Uh, if, if, if you were speaking to a, uh, I don't know, let's say you found a remote tribe in South America or Africa or somewhere or whatever who's just totally primitive and they've never seen anything of, of uh, modern technology in the modern world and try to describe to them, for example, why these lights come on when you flip that switch. You see what I'm saying? You would have to put it, you would have to use some kind of imagery and terminology uh, to communicate to them that wonder that we take for granted. Uh, and, and it would, you, you know, you, I mean, you'd have to say something like, because they wouldn't have any concept of uh, number 12 wire, for example. You say, well, we went to Lowe's and bought number 12 wire and we ran it. They wouldn't have any concept of that. But, but, but they would if you said, well, we've got, we've got these things strung from, from, from there to there and it kind of looks like a vine. And there's an energy that flows through it. You know, they might understand some kind of concept of the Spirit, because a lot of people do. And you say, well, there's, there's an energy, energy that moves through that vine and makes, makes this fixture here, uh, or whatever you would call it for their sake, illuminate, makes it light up. Yeah, I mean, so you would have to use some kind of terminology to bring them along. You wouldn't be able to just tell them, um, you know, we bought a, a, a roll of, uh, of electrical wire, screwed a bulb in, flipped the switch, and because we're hooked up to Swepco, it came on. You know, they wouldn't have any concept of that. So that's kind of what's happening here. John is using imagery that the readers will understand to describe things that they want to understand and that he, no doubt, is having trouble explaining himself, uh, at least in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, he has to use human language. He, he's limited by his, by his own uh, language and understanding. 
All right, so again, around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say. And we'll come back to that, but let's stop there momentarily. So there's the picture. Around the throne, you, in front of the throne, you got the sea-like crystal. you got the 24 thrones, and upon them seated the 24 elders. And then you've got the four living creatures. You know, if you kind of think of it in a circular way, you've got the throne and the four living creatures and then the 24 thrones. And then out before the throne, the, the sea like crystal. And all of these things are, are intended to communicate something that is foreign to us because it is foreign to us. And, it's, and, it, and it is supposed to communicate to us scenery that, would, that we would just be awestruck by in terms of its otherness, its uniqueness, and in terms of its beauty and majesty and, and the activity and the power of these creatures. And I might say too, before we move on from the, from the creatures here, some, some think that the 24 elders represent the church. And uh, I, I think there's other evidence that would, would go against that. Um, probably, I mean, they, they don't seem to be... Uh, well, they do seem to be um, angelic beings here. They, they are mentioned several times in the book of Revelation. And uh, it's, it's usually in connection with other celestial beings. And you've got that, for example, in, uh, in 511. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels. Right? So, so right in the midst of these four living creatures, which are angelic beings, and the many angels, which are angelic beings, we have these elders mentioned. And I think it's safe to assume that they too are angelic beings. They are celestial beings. And you see a similar thing in, in uh, chapter 7. Uh, verse 11 and 12, same thing. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. All right, So there they are worshipping among, again, the four creatures and the angels. So they seem to be celestial beings. And I, I'll... I'll I may say more about this when we get into chapter 5, but I know, I know, I'm aware that some of the versions in chapter 5, when you get to the new song, uh, the, I think the, the King James Version seems to include them among the redeemed um, in, verse, in verses 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed us, the King James says, um, by your blood. And then again in verse 10, I believe it reads, You have made us king, a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth, or, or we shall reign on earth, something to that effect. There's a textual variance there, um, and, and uh, it seems that the, the, the better manuscripts support um, the, the reading that you're going to see here and in, and in most of the modern translations. And it would read this way in verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people, or you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Now, if that rendering is correct, um, then th- they are excluded from the redeemed. Like I say, maybe we can say more about that next week. But for now, just... just um, I'm operating on the assumption that these are celestial beings around the throne of God. The 24 elders and then the, uh, the four um, creatures, angelic creatures, along with the myriads of angels. All right, but here's the most important thing. That's something about who they are. The most important thing is what are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing? Here's what they're doing in verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease. So this is perpetual, ongoing. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever, mark that word, whenever, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. And in chapters to come... We're going to run across other examples of them doing this very thing, falling down before Him, before the throne, worshiping Him. So this is one of those places where we don't want to get all hung up on things that might be or could be and miss what we absolutely know is. In other words, the most important thing, I think, that's being communicated here is what these creatures and these elders and these other angels are doing, and that is they are engaged in perpetual worship of the one who is seated on the throne. Look at this. Here, here, here's what it says about the four, the four creatures in verse 8. Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So, so they are doing that without ceasing. Now look at verse 9. Here's what the elders are doing. And whenever the living, living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God, then here's what the 24 elders do. They, they fall down, cast their crowns, and worship Him whenever the four living creatures give glory to Him. How often do the four living creatures give glory to Him? Continually, <laughs> with, with, without ceasing they are doing this. So there's the picture. Continually they are crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Or is our Lord God Almighty. And every time they do that, the 24 elders fall down and worship Him who is seated on the throne. That is crystal clear, isn't it? And it may not be so clear what a wing full of eyes is or what it's intended to represent. But it's crystal clear when John communicates the activity that they're engaged in 
which is the worship of the one who is seated on the throne. Now, um, I want to come back to to him, the one seated on the throne. And just a few more things to say before we dismiss. Well, we already saw in verse 3 that he had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Again, I think just, just intended to communicate beauty and majesty. And then you get to verse 5, and there's this phrase. And we've talked about on the throne and around the throne. Now here in verse 5 we have this phrase, from the throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Now that's reminiscent, isn't it, of the picture in the Old Testament that played out whenever God would descend in His glory upon the mountain, Mount Sinai, for example. And there would be lightning, peals of thunder. In fact, the people were told if anyone, or even a beast, you know, like an ox, cattle, even touches the mountain, they'll be struck dead. They'll die. Why was that? It was because of the holiness of God. The majesty and the glory of God. Who... Um, dwells in unapproachable light. And so, here you have that similar picture. Because of the majesty and glory of God from the throne, there's flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, there's a sea-like crystal. And and, uh, the picture there just seems to be that of separation. I mean, this this is what would be a... Uh, characteristic in that day. Uh, it still is in our day. Um, it, it, but it was more difficult in that day for them to, to uh, traverse a sea, wasn't it? And today we do have airplanes. So I mean, we can fly over in a few hours. And that day they could do it by ship, but it was a big deal. And so it, it had the idea of, of separation. And so before the throne, there's this sea. It seems to separate the throne from the things around it, or in particularly John, those looking on. And why is that? Well, because in verse 8, we are told some things about this one who is seated on the throne. Now, we already said the living creatures and the 24 elders engage in perpetual praise to the one seated on the throne. Well, what do they have to say about Him? And why do they praise Him? Well, here's why. Verse 8. Here's what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the 24 elders in verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So why do they engage in perpetual praise? Because first of all, God is holy. And, and why this magnificent picture of Him seated on a throne above all other thrones and separate? Because He is holy. And that's what the word means. Separate. 
or the definition I like, other than. And don't just pick between those two. Take both of them. It means separate, other than. He's, he's other than. That is, he's not like us. This is one of the reasons when, when, when we actually have an account of somebody visually seeing God, or at least in a vision, John in a vision is seeing God seated on His throne. We, we don't have a description in human form. No, we, we have precious stones given to communicate His beauty and majesty, but not a physical description as though, well, you know, He was uh, not something like you would describe somebody. Well, they were, they were six foot two, 250 pounds, you know, had brown hair, blue eyes. Nothing like that here. Because He's other than. He's not like us. He, he's not a creature. These others are creatures. The four living creatures the 24 elders, all the angelic hosts, John, later we'll, we'll see saints, you know, souls before the throne. All, all of those are creatures. The heavens and the earth and the earth themselves created things. But He is holy. And not only that, He is thrice holy, as I said earlier. What in the world does that mean? Well, two things. One thing, it's a, it's a Hebraism for emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. You know, when, you, when you're writing or typing, whatever, you, you, we, we will use different things to emphasize. You know, sometimes we use um, italics. Sometimes we underline. Sometimes we use bold lettering or capital letters. Sometimes we do all of the above if we really want to scream something, right? Or, or if we really want it to jump out from the page. Well, this is how the Hebrews would do it. Repetition. They would use repetition to drive a point home. Repeatedly, no pun intended, repeatedly in the Psalms, for example, because they're designed for memory, you you find repetition. Jesus, a lot of times when He would speak and when He would say something that that He really wanted the disciples and us to, to mark and to hear... He would start out by saying, Amen, Amen. Why didn't he just say Amen? And that's usually translated as truly, or King James translates it as verily. Why didn't he just say verily? Instead of verily, verily. Because he's emphasizing. Listen up. This is something you need to hear. The Lord did that with with Moses at the burning bush. He, He called out to him, Moses, Moses. For emphasis, to get his attention. Jesus did that with Saul on the Damascus Road, didn't he? Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? There's emphasis there. Paul did that when he talked about the Gospel in Galatians 1 and and, and in contrast to false teaching. And he's exhorting the people to to reject false Gospels. He says, look, if if I are, are an... And even an angel brings any other gospel. Let him be accursed. And then he says, I said it and I'll say it again. If I or even an angel brings any other gospel, let him be accursed. There's one gospel, one way of salvation. So Paul does that for emphasis. It's a way that the Hebrews would emphasize something. And one thing that is striking here is not that it's holy, holy, 
but that there's even greater emphasis. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I think also in there that we're not stretching it to say that there is um, an allusion there to the Trinity. Thrice holy, Father, Son, Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So He's holy. He's other than. He's separate. And secondly, He's sovereign. He's the Lord. The Lord God Almighty. Psalm 115.3, the psalmist says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. He's sovereign. He is Lord. Again, that's, that's not just some you know, place of honor, figurehead. It's who He actually is. He rules actively and absolutely. He is the Lord God Almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent. He reigns over all. Daniel says, in heaven and on the earth. He's in charge of all the hosts in heaven and on earth. He reigns. He is sovereign. And He is eternal. Who was and is and is to come. That is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The One who is eternal, who always has been, who says of Himself, I am the Lord, I change not. And of Jesus Christ, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or in Him is no variance. No, no shadow of turning. He is light, John says, and in Him is no darkness at all. He is Eternal, and He's the same eternally. He didn't have to grow up like you and I do. Or morph, you know, from one form to another. He's the eternal, sovereign, immutable, that is, unchangeable God. And worthy are you, our Lord and God, verse 11, to receive glory and honor and power. And this is why they're giving perpetual praise, because He's holy, right? He's sovereign, He's eternal, and He's worthy. He's worthy based on all of these things. Based, let's just say it this way. Based on who He is. It's, it's not even because, although we ought to be very grateful, uh, but it's, it's, it's not even just because of what He's done, for us. I mean, sometimes we say, oh Lord, I praise you for, you know, for what you've done, for other things you've done in my life, and, and which all that's good, by the way. I'm not knocking that. Thank you for saving me and all that you But you know what? He's worthy of praise just because of who He is. Because He's holy. Because He's almighty. Because He's everlasting. That is, He's eternal. He is worthy. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And the idea there is not that we can give Him these things as though He didn't have them, but we can acknowledge them. Right? We acknowledge His rule. We acknowledge His power. We acknowledge His honor. We acknowledge His glory. Give to the Lord, the psalmist says, the glory 
do His name. And by your will, here's, so here's just more reason to praise. And by your will, they existed and were created. So you created all things, that is, He is the Creator, capital C, and by the way, there's no, there's no, there's no little C Creator anyway, by the way. I mean, there are other religions that teach that, but, but that's just a falsehood. There's one Creator. He's the Creator, capital C. There's two categories, Creator and Created. And He is the Creator, the one true, living, thrice holy, sovereign, holy, immutable, omnipotent, everlasting God, and everything and everybody else goes in the other category. Creature. Created. Whichever one you want to say. You created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Think of the implications there. Nothing exists apart from the will of God. Nothing exists apart from the will of God. And it's because of God's will that they were created. And you and I were created. And i got to close because we're already out of time. So let me, just, let me just say this. Why is all this important? And, and what I mean by that, I mean, you say, well, it's kind of obvious why it's important. Uh, I hope it's obvious why it's important. Uh, but why is it important right here in this book? The book of Revelation. The revelation that God has given to John. Why is it important in what God has given the church... In the revelation. Because, because you know what's going to happen from here on out? Or I, or I should say beyond chapter 5. We're not, we're not done with this, uh, uh, this praising. And, and, and Let me just say this too real quick. When, this goes on perpetually. You know, when we come together and praise, it's not as though we are creating something. Okay, let, let's, let's get started praising God. But we're entering in on something that's already going on. Just a side note. Alright, so once we get past chapter 5, what's going to happen? Well, remember what the voice said to John back in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1, in chapter 4, but verse 1. I will show you what must take place after this. And you know what he's going to show him? He's going to show him um, how bad things are going to get because of the evil in this world. And he's going to show... Him and us through Him, the fierceness and the fury of God's wrath when it comes down in its final expression, when God slays all of the enemies and shows Himself to be Lord of all and ruler over all. And it includes all of those pictures, and we're going to see all of those, all of that, um, the visions that lie ahead include things like, which we've been mentioning over and over, persecution, Christians suffering in this world. And so, before he gets to all of that, saying, look, here's how bad the situation is in this world. And here's how bad it's going to get. It's just going to get worse. It's going to deteriorate. I can't say the word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Until God just pours out His wrath, says, Enough! And then that's going to even be worse 
Because God's going to bring His wrath upon unbelievers and upon this world in a final and full expression. And then all of those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ are going to be cast eternally into the lake of fire to suffer eternal torment. So here's the thing. We're fixing to talk about a a lot of persecution, a lot of catastrophe, a lot of judgment. And he's telling us up front, don't lose sight of the one who sits on the throne. You know why? Because at times, it's going to look like, at times it's going to look like things have just descended into chaos. And nobody's in control. So he wants us to know, he rules. He, ru- he is ruling. He is ruling actively and absolutely. He's in total and full control. And He's worthy of all praise, honor, glory, and power because of who He is. Great words of encouragement for Christians in this present world. Would you stand, please? I appreciate your patience and Lord willing, see you back here at 4 this evening. If you can make it back and... and, uh, have the the singing. And remember to pray, too, for those who are out sick. Brother Richard, would you mind leading us in a word of prayer? We'll be dismissed.